welcome to the Animal Rescue Podcast, which you always wanted to know but didn't know who to ask. We will be talking with different people throughout the animal rescue world, finding answers to the questions you've been wondering. All right, Kelly, thank you so much for um, meeting with me and talking with me about training service dogs. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. So you, the service dog connection that you own that? Yes. Okay. So how did you get into training service dogs? So growing up, I was actually um, kind of lucky to stumble upon service dogs. I'd always loved working with animals and was that kid that would drag my mom to, you know, go pet every dog that we passed by. Um, but my childhood friend growing up happened to be neighbors with the founder of Autism Service Dogs of America. Okay. So I'd go over to my friend Meredith's house and then I'd happen to ditch my friend Meredith for this lady with a million dogs. And, <laughs> and uh, she ended up teaching me, uh, I mean, so much information about training service dogs and how to raise them properly. And I started out as a puppy raiser, helping them raise service dogs for their organization. And then slowly, um, as I went along and got way more interested and way more skilled at it, moved up in their um, company and would start doing the finalized training for their dogs. So I would get uh, the dogs at the very last month to two of their training. And it was my job to polish them up and really nitpick everything to get them ready for their future homes. Awesome. I have an aunt who used to be a puppy raiser for leader dogs for the blind. So I always saw she always had different puppies all the time. And so I kind of got a little bit of an introduction to it, but never really understood what went into it all. Um, Yeah, it's there's a lot that goes into it, but it is such an amazing opportunity for people to give back to their community. For me, I was a very shy kid. And so it allowed me to actually find my voice a bit and get used to talking to people out in public because strangers approach you constantly and ask you about your dog and, oh, how old is it? And, oh, can I pet it? And, you know, what is it being trained for? So it got me out of my shell and allowed me to really find my voice as a young person as well. Yeah. So what goes into being a puppy raiser? Puppy raisers, it depends on the organization, but the, the standard... Uh, structure of it is they get a young dog from the service dog organization, usually anywhere from um, two to four months old. And then they will take that dog into their home. The dog lives with them. It goes with them everywhere. It'll go to school with them. It'll go to work with them, the grocery stores, running errands, soccer games. And the big thing is the puppy raisers, they help teach the basic commands for the service dogs. So that's, you know, learning how to walk well on a leash and sit and lay down for long periods of time and ignore food under tables <laughs> and, and not be distracted by the public. But it's also the, the main thing that they do is socialize the dog to so many different environments mm-hmm. and teach the dog just to be a, a really good, you know, dog that isn't phased by things that knows how to live in a household. All of that is so important. And then usually the job of the puppy raiser ends when, that dog is ready to be evaluated to see, okay, did it actually meet the criteria of a service dog for basic public access skills? And, you know, and then they're ready to do the task training at the organizations. And the task training is the specific task the dog is trained to do 
to help us on individuals' disabilities. Okay. So I know I was looking into your website and you said that you do um, positive reinforcement training. Yeah. So what, what is all involved with that? So positive reinforcement has to do with uh, using treats, using um, toys, using petting and praise, the positive things to reinforce behaviors that we want. Um, and so it's, it's really trying to get away from that punishment-based kind of military style, like, no, uh-uh, bad dog, leave it. You know, we want our dogs to love working mm-hmm. and be excited to help us. And they, they're not really thinking in their head, oh, this is you know, I am working so hard on this person. They think it's a fun game. They're like, oh yeah, I'll pick up that object for you. I'll open that door. This is great. (laughs) And so our job is to teach our dogs that trying to help us and figure out what we want is not going to be a scary thing. And that it's a really, it's the highlight of their day to be doing these jobs that are going to help someone with a disability. Yeah. So with positive reinforcement training, you're giving treats and praise and everything when they're doing what you want them to. So when they're working, Mm -hmm. um, I know you've recently been working with um, a a seizure seizure support dog. Um, So say that the dog does, um, you know, alert someone to a seizure, like, are there, do people give them treats or are they just so familiar with doing that task that they don't care about the treat? It's sure. I did my job. Yeah. So we, when we start out training the command, so with Jetson, who you're referring to, what we would do is we would start, I mean, we'd have to fake having a seizure for him. Right. right? (laughs) And then we'd ask him to bark on command and then we'd give him a bunch of treats when he did. Mm -hmm. And then we did it so many times that when we'd start doing the shaking motion, he would start predicting, oh, they're going to ask me to bark. And so when he would, we'd give him a lot of treats and we wouldn't even have to verbally ask him anymore. Yeah. As he um, advances in his training, we expect our dogs to not have to have treats to yeah. do their job. It's, it's not realistic long-term for someone to be carrying a treat pouch every single place they go. Yeah. But what we do look for are dogs that want to please anyways. So the treats are just extra high value when it comes to shaping a behavior. And then with the seizure uh, response specifically, uh, the, he's getting placed with a child and the parents are going to be the ones actually treating Jetson in the beginning. So as Jetson learns, oh, this, you know, I need to bark when this guy's having a seizure. Of course, he's in the middle of seizing. He's not going to be the one giving treats right. or really any any type of reinforcement. And so what happens is the parents are going to come in the room, go, yes, good Jetson, good boy, give him a treat or petting, and then ask him to be quiet because he's done his job. He doesn't need to continue yeah. barking to get someone's help. <laughs> and, you know, that would be obnoxious. Oh and then, you know, and then they can tend to their kid really easily. So yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So let's see what goes into evaluating a dog to be a service dog. Oh, so many things. Um, (laughs) The main things that I'm looking for are dogs that are really bold and confident and they want to have a job and they want their people oriented. They want to please. So the, the confidence thing, you can help build a dog's confidence, but for the level that we need them to be confident, it's not realistic to, to take a somewhat naturally shy dog and make them a confident service dog. 
that dog needs to be able to handle the most unfamiliar things thrown at them. You know, if a family wants to take a trip to Disney world and they're surrounded by all of a sudden mascots and costumes and fireworks and crazy things going on, it's not realistic that a dog that was naturally shy is going to be able to handle that at a moment's notice. So the confidence is a huge one. That's actually the number one reason um, our dogs will fail. So, you know, as we're evaluating them, we're like, this one's not confident enough. And we, you know, we'll rehome it. And we have so many people wanting those rehome dogs because they're yeah. well-trained and they're great <laughs> in those situations, but they might not be able to handle the fireworks and the that's yeah. at Disney World. Um, so the confidence is huge. We expose them to so many loud noises, so many people, crazy things coming out of nowhere, you know, and we expect the dogs to respond. It's not yeah. that, you know, they're not robots, they're living things. So we, it's okay if they start a little bit, but it's that, oh, it's just that, okay, move on yeah. type of thing. So confidence, uh, the desire to work. Some dogs, you know, they can love people and they can be confident, but they don't want to do anything for you. You know, they're yeah. like, that's okay. You can pet me if you want, but I'm not <laughs> for it. And so that drive to want to please is huge. Yeah. Um, and then being people oriented, some dogs are a little bit more aloof. We actually look for the dogs that are borderline separation anxiety level dogs there because they're going to be keeping an eye on their person, yeah. following them everywhere inside their house. It's not just, um, you know, when they're out in public and they're on leash, it's like, okay, do you have an eye on your person everywhere? So we, we really look for those dogs that are, um, intensely people oriented. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course the health is a huge thing. We can't use dogs that are, you know, have any sort of ailments or, Mm -hmm. or health issues because even though, uh, not all service dog work is the super strenuous type of pulling wheelchairs and opening doors. The amount of just daily steps they do can right. take a toll on them. So we really make sure that we have quality dogs as far as that goes. Are there certain breeds or ages that are better suited for service work? Yes. Uh, there we've, we have a lot more success with uh, labs, goldens, poodles, mixes of those dogs. Uh, that being said, any dog can be like any, any breed can be a service dog. It just has to have the right temperament. The main thing we look for is temperament. So it's not so much that, you know, one dog because of their breed is going to be better than the other. It's more that the natural temperament that's common in certain breeds is more likely to be a service dog. Yeah. And then as far as age goes, so we, so most service dog organizations start with the basic model of you get a puppy at two months old, you train it and raise it, and then place it around two years old. We have a bit of a different model because we have a, a couple different goals uh, from them. So one of our main goals is cutting down cost for recipients. And the other one is um, trying to help the dog overpopulation issue. Mm -hmm. So we actually use a lot of dogs that are being um, either rehomed by their owners, their owner surrenders, or we actually work with shelters and rescues all throughout California um, to really use, we try to find dogs that are between a year and two and a half years old. And that way we can evaluate them as a more mature dog 
We're not waiting on the maturity time of that dog as long. And we can do the training in a lot shorter amount of time um, because it doesn't take two years to train a service dog. It takes two years to wait until they're old enough okay. maturity wise, if you started from a puppy. So yeah. it cuts down a lot on time um, to get a dog for someone and the cost of it, because we've personally just had to put fewer resources into getting that dog to be yeah. at the standards of a service dog. Yeah. So can someone just have you train their current dog to be a service dog? So we used to help owners train their own service dogs. And we've unfortunately come to the conclusion that we needed to get away from that because we've noticed. So owners tend to be super emotionally attached to their pet, right? They're like, this is my dog. I love it so much, which we understand. But that also means that they tend to have pretty bad judgment on when their dog isn't the right fit for service dog work and letting their dog go when it's not the right fit. So, you know, you could be a couple months into training and then all of a sudden you realize, Oh, that dog, you know, has a, has a fear issue with, you know, specific like men in hats or, or, Oh, this dog um, can't handle all of the chaos of service dog work. And instead of the person the owner just accepting, okay, I need to get a different dog. Most of the time they're like, oh, well, maybe if we keep trying, maybe, and they're so um, attached to the idea of their dog making it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they struggle to be objective, even if they have a trainer like myself saying you need to let it go. Yeah. To move on. Yeah. So um, yeah, because of that, we've decided, okay, we're, we're just going to do fully trained service dogs for people moving forward, because it's easier for us to say goodbye, you know, and make the call because it's not our pet. We're not looking at it as that emotional support for us. It's, you know, we, we can look at it a little more plainly. Yeah. Um, what sorts of needs do you typically train dogs for? We, uh, so we specialize in psychiatric service dogs, medical response service dogs and mobility assistance. So we will do, and the combinations of those. So we will teach dogs to interrupt self-harming. We'll teach them to help find exits when someone's panicking or to circle around someone to give um, more space between themselves and strangers in stores. And of course, deep pressure therapy. Uh, We also do autism service dogs. I mean, I have a lot of experience from that, just working with that company, but um, so a lot of sensory stuff will teach, uh, dogs to, you know, alert, to get help, um, like with Jetson, with the seizures, um, and to, you know, bring medications or go retrieve inhalers, that sort of thing. We will also teach dogs to retrieve dropped objects, open doors, uh, and help with some stability and balance work. And, uh, yeah, a lot of things like the opening, well, I said opening doors, but so many people, uh, what we've noticed is they have multiple of these things going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's plenty of organizations that teach mobility dogs and that, that do psychiatric service dogs and that do medical alert and response dogs, but there's very few that will do both or multiple, mm-hmm. um, issues going on. And so that's really where we customize our training to every single person and every single dog that we have in our program. So if you're training for multiple needs, Mm -hmm. does, would that take longer? 
Yeah, it definitely takes longer. Um, and depending on what the physical tasks are for mobility work, the dogs, uh, their joints get x-rayed and that has to be done at two years old to make sure that, you know, everything is, has developed properly, that they're mm-hmm. built to actually be able to handle the stress of the job. Yeah. And so, you know, we might start the psychiatric service dog tasks for that dog earlier, but when, you know, we have to wait until the dog is two years old to get them x-rayed and, and vet cleared, it's going to take longer to even start the mobility tasks. Okay. Thinking about opening doors, how, I mean, not most doors are supposed to have the, um, that sensor. Yes. Um, but not all have them. So how do you, do you train dogs to open doors like that? Um, so we have some, like there's, there's pull tabs you can put through a door where the dog can actually like grab on and tug, just like a tug of war toy. Uh, there's that um, we have a few dogs where usually the physical opening of the door is not the issue. It's the whole propping it open to get a wheelchair through or something okay. like that. So, so the person can even like open the door slightly and then the dog will push against it and prop it open. Okay. That's so mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Dogs are amazing. <laughs> it's pretty awesome how how adaptable they are to the things that we need them to do. And they think it's the greatest game ever. Well, every dog wants a job. Mm So, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Um, You mentioned a little bit, or you kind of talked about um, the dogs aren't emotional support for you. So can you talk about the difference between a service dog, a therapy dog and emotional support dog? Yeah, they're very different and people get so confused on the definition. So we'll start with the emotional support dogs. They have the lowest standards, I would say. (laughs) So um, not that they don't do great work for their people, but emotional support dogs are people's pets that don't even have to have any type of training at all but they help their person that either, you know, has some sort of psychological thing going on. So maybe they have anxiety or depression um, or whatever's going on. But as a doctor or a therapist has said, you as my client would really benefit from having an animal around. Um, And these could be, these don't have to be dogs. Um, These can be a variety of animals for one person generally, and their main extra special quality about them is they're allowed in housing units that are not uh, pet friendly. Okay. So if you're renting and you really need, you know, this emotional support animal with you, they cannot be um, excluded against even if your rental agreement says no pets. Yeah. They used to be allowed on airplanes um, and to fly like with their person on their lap or outside of a carrier. And as of January of this year, that actually was taken away because there were so many behavior issues um, with the dogs that were being allowed on there. There were several bite instances. There were Mm -hmm. aggression instances. There were, yeah, just, I mean, dogs going like, going to the bathroom in the airplanes and that sort of thing, which is just really not okay. So now if you have an emotional support dog, or really just they're treated as pets on airlines. So if you're wanting to still fly with your dog, they have to be either small enough to fit in a carrier that can go under the seat in front of you. And they have to stay in that carrier the whole time. Or um, you can of course put them 
uh, in a kennel and, and put them under the plane if they're too mm -hmm. big. So, but that, yeah, people are pretty upset about that. Um, in the yeah. service dog world, I actually, I think it's a big benefit because there were so many fake service dogs mm -hmm. and unruly pets on the airplanes that it was giving service dogs a bad reputation because people right. couldn't understand the difference between a service mm -hmm. animal and emotional support. So yeah, that's, that's ESAs in a nutshell. Okay. Um, the therapy dogs are, they do have, um, pretty good training standards. Uh, they, you know, have to be able to be friendly with everyone and, um, walk in a relative heel position. They can't be dragging their person around. Yeah. They, you know, have to be able to sit and lay down and have dogs walk past and not get reactive, all of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But they are not trained for any one specific person. So therapy dogs are meant to help a wide variety of people or a community. Um, so that might be, you know, in a hospital, a nursing home, a school. They, uh, they have disaster relief dogs that will show up um, in areas with natural disasters, just to help people calm down. There's a lot of different uses for them, but they are not allowed anywhere that hasn't given them permission. <laughs> so even if you have a, a fully certified therapy dog and you've gone through the classes, you've, it's been certified by, a, you know, a professional therapy dog, um, evaluator, that hospital still has to invite you essentially. So you can say, hi, I have this dog. It's available. It's been cleared, you know, through this organization, but they have to say, yes, you and your dog can come in. You can't just walk in to any hospital or any school and with a therapy dog. Uh, the, the service dogs have the highest training standards. There's what we call the ADI public access test. That's assistance dogs international. They have pretty much created the standard for what service dog behavior needs to look like out in public. Um, so all service dogs are required to uphold those standards. And then on top of that, they need to be specifically task trained to help with a person's disability. So you can have a really well-behaved dog but if you don't have a disability that requires that dog helping you, it's not a service dog. Even if it's trained to service dog standards, it doesn't count. Um, if you, yeah, if you have a disability, but your dog isn't trained to service dog standards, even if it's task trained for you, it's still not a service dog. So you have to have both components for that dog to be actually legally considered a service dog. Now, that being said, um, there are a lot of laws for service dogs in training and they're not, uh, they're not consistent throughout the nation. They're state by state. So on a federal level, service dogs in training are not protected. Uh, you can't take a service dog, uh, in training or, you know, as a puppy raiser everywhere. That being said, certain States like California and Oregon, um, service dogs in training with their handlers have full public access rights, as long as that handler is keeping that dog under control. Mm -hmm. So even if the dog isn't perfect, like for example, if I have a five month old golden retriever puppy that all of a sudden gets excited and wiggly and tries to go up and greet a person mm -hmm. that's against service dog standards. But if I'm here working with the dog and getting them under control and I can 
hold them to those standards, even if the dog can't on their own, then it's still allowed. Okay. Interesting. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you certify the service animal or does the um, ADI have to come in and do that? So, yeah, that is a big uh, issue, actually. There is no certification in the United States for service dogs at all, which is really, it poses a huge issue for people like me who train legitimate service dogs versus the people who have fake service dogs. So the you know, you can get your dog certified as a service dog online. And it means absolutely nothing. You get your slip of paper in the mail, your ID card. You didn't have to prove anything to get that. You checked a box saying, yeah, my dog's a service dog and I have a disability, but it, it does not prove anything really. And there's, there's nothing valid about it. Um, it really just goes off of the behavior of the dog. Um, so people can train their own service dogs, never have it seen by a trainer, never have it, um, like register. There's no registry. There's nothing like that. Um, that's legitimate. And so people, you know, I mean, it's obvious for me when I see a fake service dog and I call them out all the time, it's kind of a fun game for me. I'm like, (laughs) no, that's not a real one. Like don't even try, you know, but, but for, um, you know, people who, have a genuine need or don't have the guidance of a trainer, they get into trouble because, you know, they can get away with it most of the time saying, Oh yeah, well, my dog's a service dog. And they might have a real disability that could benefit from one, but if their dog isn't up to standards, it makes service dogs in general look bad Yeah, because their dog's not under control. And then you have store owners that are way more hesitant to let real service dogs in because they don't know the difference between a real one and a fake one. So Honestly, I, and I'm probably going to piss a lot of people off by saying this, but I, I would really hope that there is some sort of, um, actual official testing, official certification, that sort of thing moving forward because the fake service dogs are a huge issue. Yeah. And I don't think it should be something that, uh, makes it so people can't own or train their own dogs because for some people financially, that's the only way they can do it. Sure it's more just having some way where, you know, maybe it's, it's a free service where you start out with kind of like a driver's permit with your dog where it's like, okay, your, your dog has been deemed friendly and fairly confident and, you know, has basic training, you know, with sit down, stay heel, but then you need to be able to take it everywhere in order to get it used to regular situations. So maybe that's like, you know, you have a, a year and a half, to do that um, and get it up to full service dog standards. And then it gets reevaluated and you get put through the ADI public access test. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then once you make that, you, you know, you have so many months or a year or something to do a minimum of three tasks for your disability. I don't know what it would look like, but it just, there needs to be something that comes into play because it's, it's a pretty abused system yeah, and it really takes away from people who have a legitimate need. Mm-hmm. So what, what would we need to do to get something like that set up? I mean, does it have to have legislation or? It, it would have to right now. I feel like as a culture, Americans are very, um, 
they're very protective of any of their rights being potentially violated or taken away. And, and so people, they hear, oh, this is going to be more hoops to jump through. And, Mm -hmm. and sure, it might take a few more steps, but if you're legitimately training your dog to service dog standards, the way you should be anyways, right. You have nothing to fear. Like there's no, you know, the people who get worried are the people whose dogs are questionable. Right. And they shouldn't be super <laughs> anyway. So it's, it's hard. Um, yeah. I think that it would take a lot to, to make people comfortable with the idea mm-hmm. um, and not get so defensive Yeah. about, Oh, well, what if they don't like my dogs? Like, well, it's not, it's not about, you know, whether they like your dog or not. It's about whether or not your dog meets standards and it should be anyways. Right. It's legitimate. Right. And if it's an objective group or body that's looking at it, it it has nothing to do with whether or not they like the dog. I mean, can the dog do the job? Not all dogs can. I mean, totally. I love my dogs. I love them dearly, but they would never meet service dog standards ever. Yeah. And most, I understand that most about pets them. would bomb that test. Most right. pets, would, pets would fail so bad. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize that there was not any sort of body or organization that would certify it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a really difficult place uh, to be in as a service dog organization And it also means that, you know, there's a lot of fake certifying Mm -hmm. companies online and it's really just scamming people out of money when it doesn't mean anything. Um, But it also means that at the end of the day, it's really hard for the public to understand what is, what is a real and what is a fake service dog. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there needs to be changes. And I'm, I'm glad that at least the airlines is starting to do something and maybe that'll be a little bit of an example, but yeah, it's a, it's a problem big time. Mm -hmm. I definitely see that. I mean, people just having an animal and saying, oh, this is a service dog when really it's an ESA. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it dilutes the meaning of service dog and training and all of that. And if, if people see a dog out in public, that's misbehaving, even if it has a vest that says service dog on it. So these are the things that people don't really know if the dog is excessively barking. And I'm not saying barking for a task, like Jetson is trained to bark when his kid has a seizure to get the help of others. As soon as people show up, he's supposed to be quiet, you know? And yeah. And so that's not what we're talking about here. If it's a task that needs to happen, great. But if I mean, half the time I'll go into Trader Joe's or some grocery store and I'm walking a service dog in training and, you know, someone has a little dog on a flexi lead that's running up to my dog and barking at it, but it has a service dog vest on. That's not a service dog. I know hands down if that dog is excessively barking at anyone, other dogs, people growling, doing anything like that, jumping up on people, that is absolutely not okay. Um, they're considered a threat to the public and they can be asked to, to leave the premises by anyone. It doesn't matter if you work there. It doesn't matter. Like you will not get in trouble. Um, Interesting. You will not like as a store owner, people are really concerned. Well, what if I get sued? It's like that dog um, is completely out of line and, and causing a threat to your customers and is out of control and it can be asked to leave. Um, that's the same with if a dog like goes to the bathroom in a store, 
Yeah. And, you know, there's some, like, I understand there's some service dogs in training where, you know, sure, they might not be fully potty trained or whatever, but right. as a handler, it's also your job to do everything you can to make sure that dog goes to the bathroom before you enter the right. store and then you're watching it. And, and if accidents happen, that's okay. But, but also understand you're, you can be asked to leave mm-hmm. and they are totally in the right for doing that. That is so, good to know. Yeah. People people have a little bit of power as well to fight against this. They just don't know about it most of the time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I now know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this. This, I knew very little about service dog training. And so this was so helpful to just understand a little bit, get a little foundation. And especially with, you know, certifying service dogs, I think, there definitely needs to be something out there to yeah. make it official so that it's very clear what a service dog is, what they do and how they're supposed to behave. Absolutely. So Absolutely. thank you so much. I appreciate it. Of course. Happy to help. Oh, where can people find you? Oh yeah. So, um, I, we have a, a Facebook page, uh, the service dog connection. We have an Instagram and that's also the service dog connection. And then we have a website, uh, which is just the service dog connection.com. Awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the animal rescue podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate review and subscribe and tell your friends. Thank you.